Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to Cats at Night, Professor Dershowitz. Well, thanks. Uh, you know, a lot of interesting stories, particularly about them finding classified material in Biden's office. What's that going to do to the case against Trump? I think it's a fascinating development. And I think what's interesting, Alan, it's Richard Weinberg. What I think is interesting about yeah. that, what are the documents yeah. that were returned to the archives? What was the subject matter of those documents? Yeah, and uh, who knows? I mean, he was only vice president at the time, but there was still obviously important things going on. Look, it's going to cut both ways, um, as everything seems to in America these days, depending on which side you're on. Uh, the Trump supporters will say, see, see, he had classified material, too. And the Biden supporters will say, no, but he turned them over voluntarily. He immediately gave them to the archives. He wasn't even asked. So, you know, each side is going to try to spin the argument uh, their way. But I have to tell you, bottom line, going to make it harder for Garland to uh, accept a prosecution of Donald Trump on that charge. It will open him up to a double standard, even though, you know, he's appointed now a kind of special investigator, a guy named John uh, Lausch, uh, to look into the Biden thing. And of course, he appointed a special prosecutor to look into the Trump thing. So he has a little insulation, but you know, in the end, it's the AG, it's the attorney general who makes the decision to prosecute or not to prosecute. It's nobody else's ultimate decision. Uh, Professor Ed Cox, does this open up to discovery of uh, whether other former presidents took confidential documents with them, top secret documents, and kept them for a good period of time? I would think so, and I would bet you anything they did. Not for any invidious purpose, but for, you know, convenience. They're, they all write bios. They all write, you know, memoirs. They get paid fortunes for writing the memoirs, and uh, they probably did what Sandy Berger did. Sandy, of course, who I who I knew, um, you know, put the stuff in his socks. Yeah. Uh, that, that wasn't a, a yeah. smart thing to do, uh, and he got caught. Um, but I think they do it. They're not doing it to sell it to the Chinese. Uh, they're doing it just to help them. Uh, organize their memoirs. Well, I don't think any of them no, no, are no, selling them either. Of course not. They knew the information anyway. A lot of them they had possession yeah. of while they while they were in office. Sure. That's why they're part of their records. Uh, uh, but, sure. And uh, the same thing is true of Trump. He knew it was um, obviously if there was anything important and classified, he would know about it. And uh, Trump has already, you know, made a statement saying, well, you know, I declassified everything. Biden didn't declassify anything. Of course, Biden didn't have the authority to declassify. He was only the vice president. Vice president, not president. Yeah. But but the question is, under the Presidential Records Act, uh, which prior to that, and it was passed during the Carter administration uh, and uh, applied uh, starting with the Reagan administration, a president had... Uh, could take all the records of the White House with them, and they were they they belong personally to the president. Uh, so well, and the president record, the presidential records act recognizes that in the way that it permits a former president to have complete access to to his records. So uh, well, uh, doesn't that open it up to whether the, what the normal practice was of the archives to let former presidents have even top secret documents? Oh, they were doing things Absolutely. with them? Absolutely. Yeah. 
course. And it, again, shows how both sides try so hard to weaponize the criminal justice system. You know, it's not that they're finding crimes. It's that they're looking for crimes against their political enemies. And, you know, the criminal statutes are so broad, vague, and open-ended that uh, it's almost impossible for anybody who lives a complicated life not to have occasionally slipped up. I'm willing to, you know, resolve this down under a presumption of innocence for Biden to say it was just sloppy. That's yeah. interesting. Purpose. Talking about the you know Alan, Alan Dershowitz, uh, John Katzmatidis here. Uh, I mean, sure. for the Department of Justice to send down the FBI to a former president's home, oh, yeah. Mar-a-Lago, yeah. tear it apart, uh, and go through every drawer. I mean, didn't they go far beyond the call of duty? I mean. That that Absolutely. is, I Absolutely. mean, I am so so uh, frustrated on how uh, the Department of Justice is taking the Washington, the Washington uh, FBI, and politicizing it. It's wrong. And and by the and way, no they they should they they took a, a Trump's passport. Now clearly that was personal, was not a part of the subpoena, and yet they took that with them. And then, of course, returned to later, but I bet they copied it where he had been, yeah, where he traveled went, abroad for their own purposes. Yeah. Well, I mean, how did President Obama, President Obama, I'd like to see his passport when he was in college because I understand he <laughs> traveled a lot. And he, there was rumor to, to be that President Obama, uh, while in college, had did not have an American passport. And he might have had a, a foreign country's passport. Mm. Well, you know, I knew Obama when he was in law school. He, <laughs> he, his mentor was my office mate. And so he would often hang out uh, waiting for uh, my colleague, um, Charles Ogletree, to come by. And he would always be wearing the leather jacket. And there was always a cigarette dangling from his mouth. And my secretary, who hated smoke, would always throw him out of the office. And at the time, he was called Barry, uh, not Brock. And, uh, you know, he's a nice guy. I had no idea. He was a good ball player, a good basketball player. I had no idea he'd become president of the United States. You know, I just also want to bring up the hypocrisy. So President Biden, when he was on 60 Minutes, take a listen to what he said about Trump possessing any classified documents at Mar-a-Lago. Take a listen. How one anyone could be that irresponsible. And I thought... What data was in there that may compromise sources and methods? By that, I mean names of people who helped, or et cetera. And it's just uh, totally irresponsible. I mean, that is hypocritical. I mean, he doesn't even, you know, he's not even the president of the United States who can declassify documents. He was the vice president. So how does that differentiate? I know the mainstream media, if you look at it, they said, oh, it's not as bad as what Trump did. But some others are saying, you know what, it's actually worse because he's the vice president. We, we really don't know. And that's why I think uh, an objective investigation by somebody, remember the person who's investigating this was appointed by Donald Trump. He was the U.S. attorney for Chicago, kept on by Biden because he's investigating leading Democrat politician. So, you know, at least he has the credibility to look into this. So let's keep an open mind and let's see where it goes. I think in the end it will help Trump avoid prosecution on this charge. But, you know, now we have the grand jury uh, in, 
in uh, Georgia, uh, which is possibly going to release its report, including on that telephone call, say, you know, find me 12,000 votes. Of course, that could easily mean find votes that have been cast and just make sure you counted them properly. So, uh, you know, this he's going to spend the next until he runs for president. He's going to spend the rest of the time, you know, being a criminal defendant. His co-workers look today. Uh, guy begins his criminal sentence of five months. Uh, one of the people who worked for uh, him at, at at his company. So the, the criminal justice system is really being used. And it was a South American dictator who once said, for my friends, everything for my enemies, the law and was seeing the law just being used by both sides. And now that the Republicans are in control of the House of Representatives, they will be conducting hearings of the kind the Democrats conducted. You know, neither of them are good for America. We have to be more neutral, more objective, and more compliant with the rule of law. But, but Alan, you're going to have a subcommittee of the House, the so-called Church, named after Senator Frank Church of Idaho, looking at the weaponization of the various uh, agencies yeah. by by the uh, the Obama and the Biden administrations, that could be very interesting. No, there's no doubt. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating. You know, for people like us who you know observe the law and care about the law, uh, this is going to be very interesting. But uh, let's hope and someday we can return to a situation where everything is not partisan and everything is not political. Uh- Professor Dershowitz, we have two minutes left. I want to get your quick uh, response to Texas Republican. They filed articles of impeachment against Mayorkas, the head of home, Homeland Security. Do they have a leg to stand on? Some people say, you know what, this guy took an oath to, to secure the border. He's not doing it. And as a result, he should be kicked out of office. What 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 say you? No, that, that's wrong. And that's the, the Republicans... Um, remember, took the same position I took when I defended President Trump. You need to find treason, bribery, other, other high crimes and misdemeanors. It's not enough to find an abuse of power or a violation of an oath. And so I think the Republicans would be consistent. They clearly took the view when Trump was impeached that those were not impeachable offenses. And I think they ought to stick to that. You know, have them put political pressure on them. Have them, you know, put pressure to get him thrown out of office but impeachment is reserved for treason bribery and other high crimes and misdemeanors and that means criminal top behavior not just behavior that uh, violates an oath of office well there you have it because if you're going to impeach someone you want to win right you don't want to do what the democrats have been doing to trump uh, how what six times now how many times has it been so far? Well, thank you so much. A lot of times. A lot of times. Well, thank you so much, Professor Dershowitz. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Breaking news, WABC. And the man with that breaking news is none other than John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. You are one of the greatest investigative reporters there are out there. John Solomon, tell us what is the latest regarding these classified documents found in uh, Biden's office. Uh, This is incredible news. 
It is, and it was kept from us for three months. The Justice Department knew on or about November 2nd that these documents had been recovered. Uh, the uh, government knew on that day. The Justice Department knew within a short while afterwards, which means that when Attorney General Garland came out November 18th after the election and said, I'm appointing a special prosecutor for Donald Trump to look at his problem with com- uh, classified records, he already knew that Joe Biden had a similar problem. That was kept from us until yesterday. Now that issue has boomerang around on the president. What do we know? We know there's about 10 documents that had classified markings on them, some of them at the top secret level, either by the marking or by the nature of the content in the classified document. Uh, That usually means it involves sources and methods and sensitive communications about countries. Uh, And that at least one of those documents involves the issue of Ukraine. That's important because Ukraine is where his son, Hunter Biden, made a lot of his money during the years when the president was vice president. So uh, that is the very latest. We know us, uh, the U.S. attorney in Illinois, a Trump holdover, has been asked to look at this. An investigation has actually been very quietly underway for several weeks now. And uh, Republicans in the Hill are ramping up to find out what we don't know and should know before this is all done. John, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. Another issue that broke yesterday, and I'd like to hear your comments on it, the linkage between the the Biden family and uh, Mexico. Do you know anything about that? Uh, well, we know that at various times at the laptop that uh, Joe Biden, excuse me, Hunter Biden was trying to do business deals uh, with Mexico. I think there uh, there are several emails that I read and wrote about a couple of years ago at Justin News and even at the Hill when I worked back at the Hill. Uh, Mexico was one of those places where Uh, Hunter Biden had his finger in the foreign policy slash foreign business making uh, entity. He saw what his father's administration was doing at the time. And wherever his father was having business, you see Hunter Biden trailing right behind them. It was really a targeted effort to target the countries that his father had some dealings with. So Mexico, Ukraine, Russia, um, uh, and Kazakhstan are the country and Romania are the countries that I most often saw in the documents that I reported on over the last four years. Regarding these classified documents, talk about hypocrisy by the Biden administration, specifically President Biden. Donald Trump, he must be reeling about this. You spoke to the <laughs> president, President Trump. What is his reaction to all of this? Yeah, well, listen, now the first thing he said is they should never have been looking at me. Listen, this is uh, everybody knows the president has the right to take his documents and uh, declassify their documents. I shouldn't be under investigation. And now after all that Joe Biden has said about me, this is boomeranged on him. He may have a bigger problem because he's vice president, doesn't have the same sweeping authorities that I had when I was president. At the time, these documents were possessed by Joe Biden. He wasn't the president. He was the vice president. So there's an interesting question about whether the vice president has a little bit more obligation under the Presidential Records Act and the Federal Records Act to make sure these documents got returned. Uh, the president also had a lot to say. I think it was a very interesting interview. Former President Trump wanted to talk about the FBI and all the censorship that came out. Uh, very proud that he created his own censorship-free platform called Truth. But he said, listen, I love the FBI. There are so many good people in the FBI. They do great stuff every day, but they don't belong in the business of censoring Americans. And seeing how extensive it was, seeing how uh, pervasive it was, and seeing how much it infringed on civil liberty. He was deeply disturbed by that really profound uh, conversation about the FBI and its role in censorship, which we're all beginning to see for the first time, thanks to the Twitter files and this remarkable lawsuit brought by the Missouri and uh, Louisiana attorneys general. What's interesting there is now that the Republicans control the House, they're looking about appointing the so-called Church Commission, which is known yes. named after Senator Frank Church, which deals with the 
misuse and abuse of governmental authority in violation of citizens' constitutional rights. What do you know about that, John? Well, uh, it's an idea that we've talking about on my show. It's going back to September, and uh, it is a real thing now. A, a select subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee is actually enshrined in the rules package that was um, passed last night by the House Republicans uh, uh, by a majority vote. Uh, it will have sweeping powers, and its goal is to look at the – this is the actual terminology in the rules package – the weaponization of federal government. Any place that the federal government was weaponized to either – uh, engage in politics, engage in censorship, engage in the um, infringement of civil liberties. And so it can go into the area of censorship. It could go into uh, the area of whether January 6th defendants have been properly or equally treated with the same vigor as other defendants in similar circumstances. And it can go anywhere in between uh, a lot of belief um, that we're going to learn a lot about the way Donald Trump was treated by the FBI versus Hunter Biden and that contrast which is at the heart of most of the whistleblower complaints or 20 whistleblowers that have come forward in the last year to Congress. A lot of them all focus on that, that there was a different standard applied to President Trump than Hunter Biden. And that shouldn't be the case in a, in a, a judicial system that's supposed to be blind. And related to the issue of abuse by governmental agents against uh, American citizens is the fact that uh, the Republican led house is now uh, so-called repealed funding the 87,000 IRS agents that was pushed through in the uh, so-called uh, Inflation Reduction Act. What do you know about that? Yeah, uh, listen, that is a, a really significant area of inquiry. And I think as we grow outward in the next couple of months, you're going to see three select committees in their entirety really be the leading edge of the Republican investigative effort. The um, Church Committee, as we call it, as a code name for the 1970s uh, model that it's modeling itself after. That's the House Judiciary Committee. Then there's James Comer, has one on the origins of COVID in the pandemic response. That's going to look at everything from where did the virus come from to how come our government didn't ask more questions about the people that stole. Right now, there's an estimate by the inspectors general, $400 billion of tax dollars were stolen from COVID relief. <laughs> Uh, funds. That is the single largest fraud in American history uh, ever. And so a remarkable thing there. And then the third one's going to be China and China's role in the military buildup, its effort to supplant us as an economic superpower. Uh, and what we need to do to China-proof our economy, bring uh, supply chains back. Those three select committees are going to, I think, be the leading edge of what we hear most of the narrative coming out of the investigative machine of the House this year. John Solomon, speaking of China, I have to get back to that. The documents, they were found in a University of Pennsylvania Biden Center think tank in Washington, D.C. And according to the JustTheNews.com, the University of Pennsylvania, which the center operates, reportedly received $54.6 million in donations from 2014 through 2019 from China, including $23.1 million in anonymous gifts starting in 2016. Those public records are showing. So Trump, then, of course, he put out on his Truth Social, while the Biden think tank is funded by China, you have to wonder, like, what, what, how compromised is President Biden at this point? Well, that is the question that Senators Johnson and Grassley first raised in 2020. At that time, the FBI and the media panned them. Now people aren't panning them so much because it's becoming more and more clear 
that the Biden family had multiple tentacle relationships with the Communist Party in China. This includes Hunter Biden's famous trip aboard Air Force Two in 2013, where he sets up an investment fund that he then goes into business with people directly tied to the Chinese Communist government. It involves Hunter Biden's effort to sell an American automaker company that made very sensitive windshields for our fighter jets, so classified military technology. He got that company, Henages, in Michigan, sold to the Chinese government, made a big profit on that. Then, of course, as Joe Biden is leaving office, we know that uh, he got um, he was called the big guy and that the people around Hunter Biden were thinking that they were going to give Joe Biden 10 percent of this new company that was doing business with China. That company got a five million dollar forgivable loan. Hunter Biden could walk away from the five million dollars. Who gets an interest free forgivable loan for China? That's very rare. That happened. And now, of course, we see that this university that endows this center that Joe Biden is, it, too, is a large recipient of Chinese money. Everywhere you go in the Biden family from 2010 to 2021, there is the aura of China and Chinese money. That's why so many people like Ron Johnson, Chuck Grassley, now James Comer, the new House Oversight Committee chairman. That's why they're asking these questions. Is our president compromised? Yeah, what's interesting about this, Sean, is you don't hear a peep from any of the leading Democrats or not, not even the not so leading Democrats on this Biden issue. And the green radical agenda, we know that 90 percent of the electric car batteries, the solar panels, where do they come from? The minerals, all of that is being done in China. So is this really about concern over the environment that we still don't really have much statistical data that any of I mean, seriously, about this whole climate crisis? Or is this another way that the Biden family is enriching their pockets? I mean, you just have to ask the questions because it doesn't look good. Well, the judge asked a really good question about the the concern of whether they're over a barrel. Let me just give you one example. It's a prima facie example, but it comes up all the time when I talk to people in the FBI. Uh, One of the areas that the FBI has told Congress repeatedly that China is using to further its economic and diplomatic and security espionage is the targeting of universities. The FBI under Donald Trump created a specific China program to combat these Chinese academics embedding themselves and then arranging spies on American soil to steal our corporate secrets, our trade secrets, and sometimes our national security secrets. Joe Biden gets in. Now we know everything that his family benefited from China. His Justice Department inexplicably shuts down that program, one of the most effective um, programs that the FBI had encountering Chinese espionage. They shut it down last year. A month, just a month after the FBI director, Christopher Wray, gave a speech at the Reagan Center saying this is an important leading edge. We have to be aware of how bad China's espionage is to the American interest. And Joe Biden sets it down. And people sit back now and say, wait a second, the FBI says doesn't do it. Joe Biden does it anyways. Joe Biden's family got a lot of China money. Could those two be things connected? Those are the sort of appearance issues now that every day are concerning Americans. And you're going to hear them because Congress is going to dig into all of those in the next year. Wow. Well, thank you so much, John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. That's JustTheNews.com. And keep us posted if you have any more breaking news, okay? Thank you, John. We sure will. Thanks, guys. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. John Katzmatidis, are you there? You're in Buffalo, correct? He's there. And then we've got Judge uh, Weinberg here. We also have Chairman Ed Cox on the line. We have Andy McCarthy. He's a columnist now for the National Review. He also served as the Assistant U.S. District Attorney for the Southern District of New York. And uh, welcome back to Cats at Night, Andy McCarthy. Great to be with you. Thanks. So I have to talk about, we haven't talked to you since uh, House Speaker, the Kevin McCarthy, what was it, 15 rounds? He finally got it. And he he promised over the past couple of years that when the GOP took control of the House, he would remove representatives Schiff, Swalwell, and Omar from their respective committees. And he did just that. He followed through on that promise. That's, that's a big deal because these were some powerful committee assignments. Well, it's a big deal because these were powerful committee assignments. And I also think it's a big deal because the January 6th committee – um, was so notorious in breaking norms uh, of the House in order to get uh, to, to make an investigation wholly about uh, Trump in connection with the Capitol riot. And in that connection, uh, they refused to seat uh, people who were uh, representatives who were selected by the Republican leadership. So obviously, you know, what goes around has to come around in politics. Otherwise, it keeps... Uh, you know, you can't have one side uh, unilaterally disarming while the other one breaks all the norms. So I think this had to be done uh, for that uh, for that reason, as well as uh, because it was a commitment that they made and should have kept. Andy, it's Richard Weinberg. What do you think about the uh, the theatrics of the election of the speaker last week? You think that's going to hurt the uh, leadership of uh, Kevin McCarthy? You think it's going to hurt the chances of the Republicans going forward electorally? Yeah, Judge, you know, I think it's one of those things where it was a big story when it was going on because nothing else was going on. I'd be surprised if we remember the details of it about six weeks from now, you know, when other other things take place. And I always think, you know, if you're talking about elections that aren't going to take place for another two years, we have no clue what we're going to be voting about two years from now. But I suspect this will have very little to say about it. The one silver lining I would say is, you know, for all the people who were whining about uh, how McCarthy weakened the speaker's position by cutting all these deals, that might be good for the country. It was it, the fact that, the, you know, a strong speaker's position was good for Nancy Pelosi and good for the speaker doesn't mean that the way, the dysfunctional way that the House has run, not just in recent years, but for a very long time, is something that badly needed to be corrected. So I don't really care what happens to the speaker's position. I I care like the House of Representatives functions in a way that somewhat approximates what the framers had in mind in creating it. And John Katzmatidis, you're still there, correct, sir? I am still here, but we have, me and Bert Flickinger, we have to go to our next meeting uh, in Buffalo and... uh, and Real quick, glad, why are you there? Uh, well, well, we spoke in front of the Buffalo Club in, uh, in and uh, 150 of the leading business people in Buffalo, and it was really uh, a great opportunity because we do a lot of business up here in this area, and it's a great area. 
and uh, a lot of great people. And uh, Burt Flickinger's family is part of the founding uh, families of Buffalo. So we wanted to say goodbye and uh, thank you all, and uh, thank you for uh, pitching in for me. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We'll hold down the fort. Now, uh, Chairman Cox, you had a question? Yeah, uh, Andrew, uh, the student loan safety net that's just been announced by the Biden administration, uh, why isn't that a forgiveness program such as uh, being challenged in courts at the moment? It looks like it probably uh, be ruled uh, uh, that it's un- unconstitutional, that it should be done by Congress. Well, I, you know, I think Ed, that this is kind of what we actually expected Biden to do when he did the so, the lawless decree that doesn't have any foundation uh, in statutes. I mean, I, th- I think the application of that um, post 9-11 statute that Biden relied on is on its face ludicrous. What, what everybody kind of expected before Biden made that announcement was that he would use these laws that uh, I think were started in the Clinton era and then uh, were tweaked in the uh, Obama era, which actually uh, it, it shouldn't have happened. But it is a, a case of Congress giving the president broad authority to change the terms uh, of payment of these loans. So he doesn't have the authority under them to out and out forgive them. But uh, he can do things like uh, or at least things have been done in the past, such as um you know, developing a formula that relies on how much income a person has uh, and what percentage of that would have to be taken up by uh, paying back loans. And it's kind of a backdoor forgiveness, but it's not exactly the same thing. But the program actually, and it's playing off those, yes, there's a certain cap uh, on uh, what you have to pay. But in the end, if you make that cap low enough as a percentage uh, and provide for forgiveness at a certain point. Isn't that the same as a forgiveness program? Well, I, I think it is, except that it's a statute of, of Congress that uh, has a lot of elasticity in it, unfortunately, which if he pushes it to the brink, you know, I, I think if I were arguing the other case, as, you, as you've just articulated, I would say that as a practical matter, there's no real difference between um, you know, what, what Biden has done that we, that most of us agree emphatically was lawless and what he's doing here. But I think what they'll, uh, what they'll say in response is that he's following the statute and it's, uh, you know, it's not his fault that Congress gave the president all this power that Congress shouldn't have given the president. Andy, you had two recent articles in which you, uh, said that there's a very substantial question about whether Biden should be impeached for his failure to enforce the immigration laws and protect the borders. We had Alan Dershowitz on uh, earlier on the show, and his view is that these are not impeachable offenses. What are your views? Yeah, well, I I always hesitate to say I think Alan is wrong because he's a brilliant guy. But I think the highest obligation that a president has uh, is national security uh, and border security. And that what the framers, I wrote a book about impeachment back in 2014 and discovered in the research for the book that what the framers were uh, most concerned about when they put the impeachment provision in the Constitution, which Madison regarded as indispensable in terms of getting good behavior out of the chief executive, what they were most worried about was a president who acted uh, on behalf of foreign interests that were uh, either hostile to the United States or against American interests. 
seems to me that what we have going on down at the border uh, is basically an invasion, even though it's not necessarily an armed invasion. Uh, and we can't sustain a country if we continue to have illegal immigration at the level of three million a year, which will quickly become, you know, somewhere between six and eight million a year. And who knows? I mean, people are just estimating once uh, Title 42 is rescinded. So, uh, you know, president's obligation is to do border security. The Biden administration, President Biden, uh, is not doing border security and he's not allowing the states to do it. And P.S., the House Republicans are about to uh, impeach. I think one of them filed uh, an article of impeachment, maybe more than one, against Mayorkas, who is the uh, Homeland Security Secretary. And uh, I, I must say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not against uh, articles of impeachment against subordinate officials, but Mayorkas is carrying out Biden's policy. And what the framers had in mind when they created a unitary executive was accountability so that the president couldn't hide behind subordinate officials or a privy council. Uh, they wanted him to be politically accountable for the misconduct of the executive branch. Well, it is incredible. And also incredible to me, Andy McCarthy, is the fact that we're talking about these Biden classified documents, Fox News, and I'm sure some other conservative station. Well, we're not a conservative. We're down the middle. But you're seeing on CNN and these other mainstream media outlets, they, they're making no mention of it whatsoever. It's just so absolutely incredible just how partisan the mainstream media has now become. So thank you so much, Andy McCarthy. We look forward to speaking with you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, Let's go now to Melissa DeRosa. She's the uh, former deputy chief of staff to New York uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo. She's also a strategist now. She's also a contributor to the Daily Beast. Uh, Of course, we had to talk to you today, Melissa, about uh, Governor Hochul's State of the State Address what is she talking about? What a, a billion dollars for mental mental patients, eight hundred thousand affordable housing units. Did she mention bail reform at all? I think there was like yes. one little line there. One little line. Uh Melissa, what did you think? So listen, I thought that, you know, today was a big day for her. Now she's been elected on in her own right. She's no longer riding someone else's coattails. She made no mention whatsoever during her campaign about what her vision for the state was. And so I think a lot of people were sort of waiting with bated breath to see what she was going to say. And, and it was really underwhelming. Right. She had no vision as far as infrastructure goes for the state. You know, she's not taking on big projects like a LaGuardia or JFK or Tappan Zee Bridge. You know, there was no vision on, in terms of infrastructure. And then, as you said, on bail reform, which I think voters sort of sent a, a loud and clear message when she only won by five points in the state with 22 percent Republican enrollment, people were upset about the crime issue and bail specifically. And she made very little mention of it. And I think that what she did will only sort of upset the proponents of keeping the bail reform law as it stands while not gaining any points or credit with people who want to see changes made. And then, as you noted, you know, she did raise this point about wanting to create 800,000 units of affordable housing, which, you know, easier said than done. The proof will be in the pudding. I mean, that is something that you can say. It's a long off goal, you know, and then you've got the reporters and the public have to sort of like keep tabs on how she goes. But 
you know, I think the state is at a crossroads right now. I think the far left is really driving things in the wrong direction. I think that you've got real issues with outward migration and taxes and affordability and public safety continues to be a concern. And, and I don't really think that she addressed any of it in, in sort of a meaningful way today. And then the biggest takeaway for me on top of that was she was back in the assembly chamber, which, you know, for Ed Cox, who I know is in the room and Judge Weinberg, who has been around a, a while, you guys remember that traditionally the state of the state was always in the assembly chamber. And in the last administration, Governor Cuomo said, I'm taking it out of the assembly chamber and putting it into the concourse the egg and the concourse and sort of making it a people's speech and not a legislative speech. And the reason I mention this is, you know, she's in this big fight with the legislature who is currently in the process of rolling her on her uh, court of appeals chief judge pick. And so it was sort of fitting that, you know, today she was cowing back to the legislature back in, in the assembly chamber. And I think it sort of sent a message there in charge now. So uh, Melissa, the ride. Melissa, no longer uh, a strong executive. Ed Cox here, you, you mentioned the, uh, uh, the the Hector Lasalle uh, uh, fight, and I know you've been counting heads. Uh, where are you on that now? You know, the last head count I had was between 23 and 24 no's. But, you know, Chairman, the bigger thing I'm hearing is she is not backing down Hochul, but she's doing it sort of without a strategy to, to pick up votes. And so now it's becoming Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Mike Gianaris in, in the legislature digging in. And I think that to the extent that before people were sort of falling on their own, deciding for themselves, I think that what I'm hearing is there's now a concerted effort to make sure that he does not survive because now it's become a larger fight between the executive and the legislature. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do not see it ending well for her. Yeah. Well, that's a very good point, Melissa, because I, I think that she's going to be very severely injured in her governance over the next number of years, having lost this fight, if she in fact loses the fight. No, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, she came out swinging on this one. She did it without a strategy. I, I honestly sympathize for for Justice LaSalle, who is somebody with a tremendous amount of respect that's owed to him for the years he's served on the bench and the great work that he's done. He's a man of integrity. And, you know, he has unfortunately gotten caught up in the politics of this process with the far left and, and the unions. But you know, he got into bed with her and she had no strategy to get him pushed through. And so he's hanging out there. She's sort of, you know, pounding her her fists on the table. But to what end? If you say I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down, but you don't have any ability to do that, you know, what what's your end goal? So I think, you know, she gave away the pay raise for nothing. That was her maximum point of leverage. She's back in the assembly chamber today giving a speech that really didn't blow anybody's hair back, didn't have any sort of vision or grand plan for the state's future. And then sort of looming over all of that is this fight over the chief judge, which she's all but certain to lose. And so I think what we all have to get accustomed to is reorienting ourselves to a a situation where the legislature is in the driver's seat. And that was the the main point that I took away from the speech today and from all of the sort of atmospherics that are playing around it. And that's very dangerous because the legislature has been controlled by the Supreme Left Wing, which has an agenda totally contrary to the interests of the state. No, that, that's right, Judge. And, and, you know, look, I am a Democrat and I, you know, shudder when I see what's happening in Washington. And you've got the rules changes today where... 
there's a new rule that McCarthy swallowed in order to keep his speakership, which is that one single member of the House can call for a vote of confidence to overthrow the speaker, which really says that, you you know, Matt Gates could be having a bad hair day and decide that he wants to, you know, hold a vote and tie things up in the House. And I think that that sort of speaks to what happens and the dangerous nature of when the far right takes over, you know, the government and, and any extremes. All recognize that you can see it just as much on the left and that it can easily happen on the left and that that's sort of what i'm seeing foreshadowed here it is frightening there should never be extremes on either side of the aisle and you know i I don't understand why governor they've packed the the committee judiciary committee with the left well why didn't she use the 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 pay raise well, as that's leverage. What Melissa, that's, that's the what question. Is saying. She didn't. She had leverage and she gave it away. Well, why for didn't? Why didn't she use it? I don't understand. You know, look, Lydia. I think that she was sort of obsessed with this idea of I am not going to be Andrew Cuomo. I'm going to be nice to everyone. I'm going to be collegial. And what she didn't sort of recognize as being nice is nice, but being effective is what you're there for. And Look, I don't think of George Pataki as a bully. I don't think of him as a jerk. I think of him as somebody who at at various points, Silver v. Pataki, and in his own pay raise fight, he recognized the leverage that was afforded to him. That's how he got his charter school law in exchange for a pay raise. And I think that Governor Cuomo sort of operated the same way. And I think the legislature doesn't like it, but, you know, tough luck. And the truth of the matter is when the legislature – has a fight that they want to pick or a priority that they've got. They've got no issues sort of linking arms and rolling the governor. And you've got to play by the rules of the road. And the Constitution was laid out in a way that gave governors a certain amount of leverage. And she doesn't know how to use it. She hasn't figured that out. And I think that a a state that is run by the far left is going to go in a very bad direction very fast. So, you know, I hope to God she figures it out soon. But the speech today, the judge, the pay raise, the her you know five point win on her election, it doesn't give me a lot of hope. No, it doesn't. Well, thank you so much, Melissa DeRosa, for always telling it like it is, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you. That sounds great. Talk soon, guys. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Let's get right to him. Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident medical genius, and tell us uh, your latest uh, breaking discovery. Well, what's happened that during COVID, people really neglected their dental health, and uh, people were afraid to be up close and personal and have their teeth cleaned. And they find now that there's a big resurgence of periodontal disease throughout the United States and the world, and a lot of oral cancers have also been missed. And an interesting study showed that your dental health is directly related to longevity. When they looked at hundreds of thousands of charts, they found that people who had 20 teeth or more at age 70 had a higher chance of living longer, and those who had less than 20 teeth by age 70 reduced their longevity dramatically uh, and that was a very significant finding so it confirms that oral health is uh, related to longevity and uh, there are things uh, that we can do for example to find out what is growing in our mouths and there are uh, microbiome tests where you can analyze the bacteria in your mouth and they found that if you have for example certain bacteria 
that are at higher levels than others, it's associated with certain cancers. Like, for example, if someone has pancreatic cancer and they test your oral microbiome, you might have a higher level of certain bacteria. And there are tests that you can do, like nebular genomics. You can swab your mouth or the Bristol Health Test where you swab your mouth. And you can measure, and by knowing what the microbiome is, and then you can address it appropriately, there's even prebiotic toothpaste that they have now. Uh, and you can figure out why you have bad breath or inflamed gums or even gut health or tooth decay or receding gums. So this is a new science, and a lot of dentists now are actually incorporating their practices to test your saliva and to test what bacteria are growing in your mouth, which can be associated with uh tooth decay, and uh, we can start catching these things earlier in younger kids and maybe prevent a lot of dental health problems, which are oftentimes not covered by insurance and uh, can become a very expensive uh, proposition. Uh, Dr. Mikulos, so, so there is a correlation, but what's the science? The science is that if you have, for example, more acidic uh, saliva, you have a higher chance of having uh, tooth decay. It's the bacteria that are inside the oral microbiome. When your gums start receding, there's a connection between the bacteria in your mouth and they get into your bloodstream and they increase inflammation. For example, I have a friend who had uh, a, a root canal done and then they fixed it and their C-reactive protein went down. And I just want to finish with my condolences to the king of Greece, Constantine, who just died at age 82, the last king of Greece. Wow. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Mikolos. And what do we stand for, guys? Truth. Truth. Truth, justice, justice, and the American 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 way. way. God bless New York. God bless America. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all-natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.